This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. Bonnie, beauty queen, owner of a monster cat, master strategist, and wielder of the all-powerful paws. Bonnie has been such an incredible example to Aaron and I of just how different three eights can possibly be. This girl's been with us since the beginning. She's one of our veterans. We're also incredibly confident about Bonnie's tri-type. So this was originally going to be put into our season on tri-types. She's tri-type 825. And we decided to air this episode because it was such a delight. And we're 100% confident she is in fact that tri-type. So she will represent all the rest of you 825s very, very well pay extra attention when we get to about the 35 minute mark and start talking about denial. Things get really interesting. Bonnie, we love you. We would interview you a thousand times, my dear, but one will have to suffice. Hi. How are you doing? Hi. (laughs) We got to start the way we always start, which is tell us about you. This is the worst. (laughs) I don't know who I am. What I can tell you what I am and what I do. I am, how old am I? 27. I'm a mechanical engineer. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am getting my PhD in mechanical engineering. And specifically, I study combustion for diesel engines. That has been a process that hasn't really been fun. (laughs) Uh, But ultimately, what I want to do with that is not much (laughs) mechanical engineering to other students. And that's, that's, I think, a very eight decision that I made, actually, is that when I was majoring in mechanical engineering in undergrad, I was just like, why do these people suck at explaining these concepts? Why do you think we're doing this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I've always loved learning and stuff. And I think I just felt the, the lack of interest that my teachers had in teaching me was just like a massive injustice. And I was like, I'm going to do that <laughs> better. And so basically, I decided to punish myself (laughs) and pursue a PhD in mechanical engineering so that I can teach mechanical engineering to students so that they can have good teachers. That's what I do. Other things that I do, I grew up doing pageant, which you guys were like, what? (laughs) Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what that looks like from your point of view. Uh, I'll just state that. And I kind of wanted to know how an eight does pageants when my perception of pageants is that it's all performance and it's about like fitting into a mold. And then you clarified that for me. Yeah. So in reality, it's kind of opposite fitting into a mold. And it's the people who don't fit into whatever mold people assume is the pageant person that end up doing really well, actually. Because basically, and this is, I think, what I really got out of it was that I had to spend a lot of time as like a young adult and a teenager, like reflecting on who I was and what I wanted to do. And so as a 15, 16 year old, I was being asked questions like what my plan for you know like college was and why I wanted that to be my major and I couldn't just like say something and not have a good reason or defense for it and I think that's not something that like a lot of teenagers are expected to do or really challenged to let alone thinking Um, about 
Yeah. And so, you know, I think that the pageant process helped me grow a lot in a lot of ways because I had to think about like who I was and then figure out how to explain that to like a group of five people in 15 minutes or so, you know, and do it well and be personable. But always the people who like mentored me through the process were they were really about making sure that I wasn't giving the answer I thought was like correct answer or what people were looking for, but giving the answer that was most true to myself because that's what ends up actually like succeeding in the pageant system because people can tell what's genuine and you yeah, know. Given what we, we've kind of learned about your tri-type now that I've had time to think about it, there's something about pageants that fits your skill set because you do have to put a lot of thought and care and strategy into each part. Oh yeah. And that's where you shine, strategy. right? Strategy, strategy. Exactly. Actually, um, before you interview, the judges get either like your resume or like a bio on you. And um, that's where they pull a lot of their questions from. And so actually, my resume was specifically designed to beg them to <laughs> ask me the questions I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. So yep. it was written exactly the way where like, I knew the seven things that were most enticing, yep. and like, they would come up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about your fascinating cat. And I wanted oh. to know what went through your head Were you like, I would like a cat that is terrifying to look at and <laughs> <laughs> that no one will ever want to pet. What were you thinking? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that more, more or less. Actually, I, I'm not yeah. I wasn't really kidding. I just wanted to hear you confirm. So everyone wants to touch him. Because they're like, what does that feel like? <laughs> yes. People are like, what is it? Um, everyone is so fascinated by my cat. I think I did want a cat that was terrifying to look at. Um, I think he's the cutest creature probably on the planet. I'm sure you um, do. <laughs> I've tried. I've stared at him. I'm like, oh, what does she see in him? He's so cute. <laughs> Everyone that meets him actually usually goes, okay, this cat is actually much cooler than regular cats. That's like <laughs> always the response that he gets. Does he have a um, personality that's interesting? He has an excellent personality. Okay. So because hairless cats are usually cold, they end up being like really dog-like cats because like they're really interested in like being around you sitting on your lap they talk to you like <laughs> yeah. they're not standoffish cats they're like really friendly pets right one of the things i've recently sort of like categorized about myself is that i love novelty uh-huh uh, i've always been obsessed <laughs> <laughs> with strange creatures and i like to just have things around that make people be like what <laughs> And so I've always wanted a hairless cat. And like now I'm teaching fluid mechanics to students. And I got for Christmas this like miniature half person size like alien skeleton. I saw that in one of your pictures. I was like, okay, there's a theme going on. Oh my goodness. What's the guy who does the cartoons for kids? And it's really creepy. Tim Burton? Yes, that's you. Oh, yeah. I don't see it like that. I never like Tim Burton. Okay. I just want to like surprise you and... And just like be what's not expected. Okay, so your whole house isn't kind of dark and creepy. You just have these no, like random dark creepy things. My whole house is incredibly bright. Okay, actually, okay. which makes makes it 
what you are trying to accomplish. Yeah, more like yeah, little spark like totally ironic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine Favre says that your tri-type is caring, knowledgeable, protective. You want to be helpful, wise, and straightforward. Highly sensitive. You're empathetic, intellectual. You're a people person. You're both introverted and extroverted. And at times you can be direct and easily move towards others and can overgive or pull away to recharge. I'd say the part of that that I didn't resonate with is being introverted. I'm 100% extroverted. I definitely lose energy fast if I don't have like people to interact with. That being said, though, like I am a bit five-ish and I I do get like very focused on projects and stuff. But one thing I've learned getting my PhD is that even if I'm alone and like processing information or working on a project by myself, I need to like verbalize that to someone. Even when I'm alone, I have to process things the extroverted way. Do you talk to yourself? <laughs> I make so much noise. Yeah. <laughs> I make so much noise. It's really people <laughs> think I'm like in pain. Um, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I think I relate to everything but the introverted part. How do you feel about the name, the strategist? I'm all on board with that name. I've always thought like ever since I was in high school and took the ASVAB that I would be excellent at planning military strategy <laughs> I, <laughs> in complicated situations like that it's super easy for me to pick out everything that the opposing person might do and just remove all emotion from decisions and go like maximum efficiency best way to win like I can do that that's my reflex almost <laughs> Truly remarkable. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is something that can't be fathomed on this side of the interview. <laughs> it's Five really actually like strange for me to realize that other people like don't <laughs> do things like that. I'm just like, I understand this situation and I am pretty sure I know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Aaron and I would show up on the battlefield and just just run at something. I think we'd just run at it. We'd just figure out where, loudly. which one our gut was pulling us towards yeah. and go at that person. Yeah. <laughs> my gut is always involved in a lot of my decisions, but I still... Mm. Do you weigh the thinking against your gut? Do you check them with each other? Yes. Yes. My If my gut has a response, I will sit on that response until my brain has calculated exactly why I feel that's the right response. I think that is such a great skill. <laughs> And I would, uh, yeah, I envy you in that skill because I think sometimes we uh, we end up in a in a situation that we could have avoided if we had just taken a little more time. I've also gotten feedback that that's frustrating for people because sometimes uh, if I'm getting in a fight with like my partner or something, they'll say something and I'll be like, no, I don't like that. <laughs> and then they'll be like, why? And I'll be like, I don't know yet. I will get and back to And then I just you. like refuse <laughs> to discuss it. <laughs> and then like a day later I'll come back and be like here's all the reasons why you're wrong That's so <laughs> and genius. they're like damn it <laughs> <laughs> you prepared like an unbeatable defense five is my, my antidote that I need because I think it takes courage for me to risk pressing pause and not answering right away it feels like I'm giving up power or something by doing that. And it's actually powerful to do that. 
Oh yeah, the feedback I have gotten is that it's the most yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I basically, bet. what happens is like you halt the conversation. Uh huh. And they <laughs> and know then, like, they're like, control oh, where it goes. What's coming? What <laughs> is coming? Oh no! You know what, Bonnie? I think you need to check in with Aaron and I in like a month, and our homework is yeah. <laughs> yeah, going to be to channel some Bonnie. <laughs> Oh, we're going to press pause on someone's ass. Okay, we're each going to do it. And then we might need to get in touch with you about how to win that fight. You're going to give us all the ways to win that fight. Then we're going to implement it. I think the reason that I really developed this skill is that my dad is an eight and my mom is a one. Oh, yeah. And like... You had no choice. (laughs) Yeah. My dad, my... And I'm the only person like growing up that anyone in my family has, has ever been like, Bonnie's the only person that can take down her dad. My dad is very unwilling to bend. Right. Uh, <laughs> but if I can provide all the defense for the argument right. that he just can't unreason, mm-hmm. then he stuck, he falls over. And he probably comes at you like he'd be more reactive. And so you pressing the pause would put a halt to it maybe actually i think my dad is not that reactive either okay how was your mom i think my mom is crazy um <laughs> I it's all about being honest on our show i don't understand my mom at all and i think the things that me and my mom have butted heads on the most is that she just she's a big fan of like because i said so or like that's the way it is like that that's the right way to do it and i would always just be like why why yeah (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't make any sense to me (laughs) yeah so she wouldn't give you any good thinking right you just never got an answer (laughs) yeah well my poor mom was just dealing with a family of majority eights oh (laughs) so she just was like needed some power (laughs) do i feel for her wow so why don't you unpack a little bit more about using your head in in that five way what does thinking from that five center look like i mean i think for the most part it makes me I don't feel comfortable taking a strong stance on something, at least outwardly, until I can defend it and explain it to someone. And I think that's because while I do love like brute force effort on things, it's easier to win arguments or prove your point or be heard if, you know, people can't like reason out of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like real tough to be like god that makes so much sense Damn it. <laughs> you're looking for a checkmate <laughs> yeah i like to hit checkmate and in, in all the points i'm really trying to prove and you know i don't know i think that i've always been five-ish too because it's for me understanding why things work the way they do that's always just been my way of learning and like I have a lot of other friends getting PhDs and who are big nerds, right? And I've noticed like a difference between me and a lot of other like really intellectual people is that like my obsession is understanding why everything works the way it does, where mm-hmm. a lot of other intellectual people have this ability to just know lots of things. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I don't know a lot of things, but like I can reason out just about anything. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the way they talk about five thinking is to drill down. Yeah. So I always go to like the core thing, uh, which I think is maybe why the Enneagram like related to me where I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm always looking for the, the smallest like three pieces that actually like disseminate how everything from there works, which maybe I'm like a psycho too, because everyone that I know I, like, keep track of what things about them are consistent with what I know about them and what things about them are inconsistent with what I know about them. So, like, I'm always building, like, models of, like, people or research or physics, you know, whatever it is that I like learning about. And I check new information against the model I have in my mind about how it functions for consistency. Do you call people out on inconsistencies or do you just quietly file it away? Well, there's a difference because like um, I will for sure call people out on hypocrisy, but being hypocritical isn't necessarily going to be inconsistent with who they are. No, they could be always hypocritical, (laughs) right? Like they could be hypocritical about certain things that I have figured out or like part of their sort of core, like motivations for things. Right. And so does that make sense? It does actually. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You scare me. <laughs> can we can we see the notebook where you log our inconsistencies? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a notebook. It's and that's the thing that's the thing about five-ish, I think, in me is that like I don't have a list. I don't remember like a long list of things. I remember right. it's your brain. I remember your really like the awesome brain. The core things. Yeah. Right. And then if they match. I let it go. And if they don't match, and I'm like, ooh, I got to figure out what's wrong with my like core model of you. That's fascinating. Yeah. And that's like my favorite thing is when people are actually like hard to figure out and like I have to adjust my model a lot. That's that's my favorite kind of person. Complicated yeah. people. <laughs> Did you marry a complicated person? Um, you know, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's so hard to like reflect on Blaine because I... um. I think I have like more of an instinctual understanding of how he works than an intellectual understanding of how he works. And I think that's because I sense his energy a lot. Okay, tell me more. Um, (laughs) Blaine is a six. (laughs) And one thing I've noticed is like I feel his anxiety just in my soul. And so, like, I know how he feels about most things. And me and Blaine actually have a lot of the same, like, opinions and ways of thinking about things. So I think a lot of times we just, like, agree. The thing that I don't understand about Blaine is I will feel his response to things. And I'll be like, why is this happening, Blaine? And he'll be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas you, you can always explain why yeah and i've tried i've talked to him a lot about like how he's in his head and and i'm just like you don't you don't have like a core sense of like what the truth is for you i'm like if someone like guesses something at me is this why you're doing it i can immediately be like nope yep and blaine can't do that and so Mm -hmm. i think that i get him as much as he gets him I believe that with sixes. <laughs> but like the five in me and the six in him get along, mm-hmm. right? Because I yeah. think and plan and like 
make sure I understand all the situations. And Blaine does a similar thing by trying to predict yeah. all the possible outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So Okay, I'll stop asking about your personal No, you can. Okay. That's- <laughs> I will answer literally any question. How about using your heart in a two-way? I just, like, have an instinct to, like, help people. And I think that's because that's all I know how to offer. And like neither of my parents, they're not emotional people. No one in my family is emotional. We're like a high efficiency family. Get shit done. (laughs) So like I was never taught the skill of holding space for people's emotions and just being like, it's okay. My instinct is to like make people laugh when they're crying or be like, I'm going to get you a cookie, like something like, which is not necessarily helpful. <laughs> the other thing I do maybe as while I'm keeping track of who I think people are, I do tend to like to ask them questions that may or may not get them to realize things about themselves that I have realized. <laughs> which I don't know if that's me being a two and like... What's the motivation for it? Are you trying to help them see something yeah, about themselves? Yeah, I think so. Like, I okay. think that people can get like confused about like what their own truth is, you know? And like, I have one friend who the very first time I ever talked to him, he was telling me how he was conflicted about like going and like taking over his dad's company after his PhD. After talking to him for a couple months, I was like, listen, dude, you have a ton of guilt about really not wanting to do this thing with your dad's company. And he was like, (laughs) what? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) it's apparent to me that you have been doing everything you can to avoid this. And yet in your brain, you're still marching toward it. Like it took him a couple weeks, but he was like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna ask, does everybody end up acknowledging that you were in fact correct? Have you ever had someone say, nah, you just got that wrong? Um, not often. I think no. I think that um, I am good at delivering information softly. So usually I phrase it as a question. <laughs> okay, I've heard that's like a really great way to do things. Yeah, if someone <laughs> is forced to answer a series of questions that makes them come to the conclusion I've already come to, then that's... Uh, a better learning moment than like being being told something uh, every time i hear you people talk i like you rule the world you people <laughs> well that's like the exact <laughs> because of these skill skills I use when i'm teaching <laughs> i make i ask more questions in class than my students do and mm-hmm. I, that's how you figure things out on your own big hormone enneagram there's this quote and they said about your tri-type that you're remote in spite of deep involvement so you give without expecting to actually fully participate in the real interaction of it well last time you had asked how i felt about the phrase abstinent participant after you explained it i was like no exactly that basically it's like you get involved and understand and like provide support and then just remove yourself from the success of that like at five I definitely think that's what I do I mean like I don't get attached to being in charge of what other people do I just really have like zero expectations of being able to like control someone else's actions or decisions i will give you you as much information as i think you might need but like if it's simple things you know and if you like don't take my advice like 
and I'm not directly involved, I couldn't care less. There must be times, though, where because of your relationship with the person, there would be hopes involved. Oh. Hopes would make it messier? Or do you even reserve, do you even set up a wall where you don't even hope that there will be a certain outcome? I think it depends on how attached, like, my future is to that outcome. That's what I'm saying. So is it, is it not entirely true if you are deeply attached? Hmm. I would say that as of like recently, I've realized I'm in one of these situations where my best friend is dating this guy that I, it took me about six months, but I officially hate this man. <laughs> I sat on it. I sat on it for a while and collected <laughs> evidence. I really did. Like I, at first, the first time I met him, I was like, I'm unsure. And then every time since then, I was collecting like evidence as to why I felt that way. And now I can tell you exactly why I hate him. But now I'm not sure what to do with my friend, right? Like, I feel like I've got to say mm-hmm. something, but I don't think she's gonna, like, do anything with the information I give her. And so now yeah. I'm like, huh. And because she's your friend, her doing nothing with it does affect you. <sighs> the problem is this guy flirting hates me, too. Can be like, Chelsea, I will love you forever. I think this guy's, like, kind of controlling and, like, you're using him as a crutch for some things and I'm going to say that and you can tell me if you think it's true or not and then decide what you do with that, which I think I would be okay with except for the fact that this motherfucker does not like me and I'm pretty sure he like views me as a threat. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably. In a number of ways. He's, I'm, he's a control person and I am uncontrollable and so like mm-hmm. I've noticed or actually my sixth husband noticed that like in social situations, he's always trying to like get some edge on me and control me. And I didn't even notice really that that was happening because I'm just like obliviously uncontrollable. But how that's manifesting is that like he's kind of removing her from my life. And so that's where I'm like attached to it. You know, like if I just didn't like him and like saw things were happening, but he wasn't interfering in my friendship with her, I would like tell her and be like, do what you want with this. And like, if we want to kill him later, hit me up and I'm on, I'm on board. (laughs) Like if not, then it's on you. But like in the moment currently where I'm pretty sure that he's trying to like push me out of her life a bit, then I am attached, right? And it's actually making it harder yeah. for me to decide how I want to deliver her this information. <laughs> you have to do a little bit more thinking. Yeah. And well, one thing I've noticed is my instinct is to just not say anything. Yeah. <laughs> because I, yeah, like, that is not I care natural for us. a lot about the outcome, I would almost prefer to not have my advice not taken. That is the vulnerability. <laughs> You'd have to deal with that. Whoa, we just got to some gold right here, I think. <laughs> I kind of want to poke around Yeah, at go it. for it. Is there a situation that you can think of where you had to sit in that, where you felt what it felt like to offer what essentially is the best of your resources <laughs> and it got shit on or, and it mattered. What did you do with Man, that? It's this one. I... i haven't like said anything to her yet but like i know what's gonna happen which is i think maybe that's me just like being very five-ish i understand what she's gonna do she's 
So you've never experienced this before, though. It's hard for me to come up with another example on the spot. Okay, so it might be a first. Wow, that doesn't mean it hasn't. Happened. I feel I don't think you'd forget it if if it had well, happened I before. Well, I think I wouldn't have recognized it, and I think I'm okay. a lot more self-aware, you know, like now than I would have been previously when it was happening. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard for me to like recall another moment when that has happened, but you just know you, you don't like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> I currently have like yes. chest pain because I'm not sure what to do about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, I'm wow. pretty sure that like me saying something isn't going to actually make anything better. So I'm like, ugh. <laughs> you yeah. could just tell her to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I talked all about you and your personal life. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. You know what it highlights is that the cliff that you are standing at the edge of, considering whether or not to jump, is a very different cliff than mine. So I actually think I would be on the exact same cliff as you. I might not have put as much thought and time into thinking about why I feel that way, but I would feel exactly the same way you are right now, where I would be sitting weighing, do I risk this friendship or do I risk her being in a place where that's so bad for her and I can see it all and I can see it all how it will it'll play out but do you have the same vested interest in your advice being taken I'd be terrified I'd be terrified sitting in this position for you it would be all about the relationship though not your advice I wouldn't be worried so much I, I would know what I felt was true and that's enough for me so I wouldn't be armed with the information per se, but I would know what I feel is right and true. And I would be worried about losing my friendship. I don't know if I would, it would stop me. Oh, well, at this point, I have, I have sort of weighed that the chances of that happening are real, real high if I don't say anything and yeah. maybe slightly less high <laughs> if I do. That's the... <laughs> yeah, totally get that. Because you won't stick around for it either, right? Like you're not gonna. No, no, and like yeah. that's actually no. I hear you. Like a couple, like two days ago, is that like I have no more energy to like see my friend when she's with her dick ass boyfriend. So then you're you're put into a position where it's like, what is the lesser of two evils? Yeah. Right? Well, I think I've narrowed down my options are never say something. And just wait for it to crash and burn and hope that it crashes right. and burns or like say something and then huh? still wait for it to crash and burn. You My are. plan is to do like the mature thing and say something and then just be like, yeah, I am going to not okay. hang out with you, with Mark. Mm-hmm. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. it really does. Job A plus. You know, I have to say it sounds fairly healthy because in the unhealthy place, we would say things like, I am strong enough to outstand this loser, right? And I'll stick it out for my friend. And I actually, I just think boundary setting for eights is uh, a really healthy Well, place. fortunately, I am not strong enough to endure that at this current moment in my life. But that's what I think. I don't actually think, I think this is the narrative we tell ourselves. I don't think it's, we're not strong enough. I think it's the exact opposite where we get to a place where we say, I'm setting a boundary and this isn't safe or healthy or it's energy draining for me. And therefore I'm not putting my hands off. Yeah. I don't have the energy to fret about him. (laughs) I have other frets. All right. It's weird moving on from (laughs) that, but here we go. All right. (laughs) Awkward transition. (laughs) So, Okay. How do you feel about like denial playing a part in life for you? Um, So there's a quote 
about your tri-type and it says that this tri-type is likely to deny that they have needs themselves, deny vulnerability, deny, deny, deny. It's others who depend on you and not the other way around. Part of that resonates, part of it doesn't. Man, do you have people you depend on? Sure. They're very dependable people. (laughs) And actually, I realized recently, I think the reason that I knew I would marry Blaine is that subconsciously, I knew that he would have the ability to like rise to pretty much any occasion, (laughs) which I subconsciously knew. And now that we've been married for a while, I'm like, this is definitely true. Like you might have 17 panic attacks, but like you're gonna get there. So, no, I, like, definitely depend on him. And it's unimaginable for him to, like, betray me in some way. Like, I just can't see that happening. Sorry, outside of Blaine, do you have anybody else you depend on? I mean, like, I know that I can depend on my family for, like, certain kinds of things, right? I know that my I can't depend on my, like, immediate family for, like, emotional support. That's not their skill. But I know that if, like, my life falls apart, like, I can go live at home for however long I need to. And, like, they'll help me out. Because that's their skill. Maximum efficiency. (laughs) (laughs) like i think i know what i can depend on people for and what i can't depend on people for denial is sneaky in that it can be subconscious and it it isn't necessarily like an action you're taking to suppress something denial denial thing i so i have a more recent opinion on this yeah let's hear it and like my friend i was telling you the one who couldn't see that his guilt about his dad was like ruling his life he's right a really observant motherfucker and he has known me long enough now that he has the ability to predict what i'm gonna do but it's not from a position of understanding it's from a position of experience and what's interesting is he pointed out that he'll know when something happens that is like a big deal for me And when it happens, I won't have figured out why I feel about it the way I feel about it. And so what happens is I just don't respond. And he'll call me and be like, oh my God, are you okay? What do you need? And I'm like, dude, this is not a big deal. I don't understand why you're freaking out. (laughs) And then like (laughs) maybe a couple months later, I'll be like, this is the most fucked thing that has ever like but it took me like a long while to really like analyze what was happening so maybe that's just the five thing where i takes me a while to respond and like until i fully understand something like i don't commit to that being the truth yeah you have to actually drill down in your own self to get to the heart of what you actually felt yeah but it's also more so that like i won't feel it until Mm -hmm my brain and like my heart and my gut like are in alignment i just put it on hold and so maybe that's like the denial thing which is super subconscious but once i figure it out then i'm like pretty willing to accept it but it's real subconscious how it happens well i think i just don't feel it and then maybe it manifests as physical pain (laughs) have you ever had a moment of like spontaneous brilliant feeling <laughs> well it ha- it would have to line up with something that i have already like a position on or well hmm, i don't know <laughs> have you ever had a feeling ever <laughs> feeling but maybe not a spontaneous feeling actually wow. i even remember wow. when i fell in love with my husband okay. it was after like 
months of debating it. <laughs> well, he he tried for like three years with me, and I was like, no, 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 no. And then like he started to kind of wear me down, and I was still like, no. But then like I built up enough evidence, <laughs> and I remember I was like, shit, I might love this girl. And then I spent I spent like maybe six hours realizing it and then i went full send like immediately where i had been telling him like no we're just for like years and then i've realized that i loved him and i was like hey come over when you're done with work i'm, I'm and ready he now. showed up and like the vibe was right and he was like listen i'm not gonna kiss you until you tell me that you like me and i was like i'm fucking in love with you <laughs> i just like oh. <laughs> So wonderful <laughs> and strange, and I love it. One of the things about this tri-tip that's really, really interesting is that if you look at it in um, this triad called the Harmony Triad, it shows that you have all rejection types. It's <laughs> all three are the, rejection types. The yeah. Harmony Triad is how you relate to the world. Yeah. So what it means on paper, but you can give it life, is that more than most eights, there's like a triple guardedness inside you. And again, we've talked about it. It is subconscious. Nothing's really active. But there's a sense in which you're like offering a service of some sort, like a service of your mind, intellect, a service of help, or a service of your strength, rather than actually giving your heart. And so it means that you're not wide open to the present moment. You're triple guarded against the present moment and like the natural flow of things. Hmm. How does that sound? I don't... Uh, saying that like you're never really in the present moment feels like very wrong to me. The triple guardedness. Sure. I mean, I think that I just always have my understanding of what I think you're going to do and what I think I can expect from you. And like... I just refuse to expect anything more than that, right? So, like, I think right. I just, like, set myself up not to be disappointed. Which would so, be another way of being guarded. Yeah, and also not being wide open <laughs> to the Except that I don't feel that's true. I need to hear more about that. I need more evidence. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that I tend to have a really, like, strong ability to be in the moment in in like situations or with people do you think that maybe waiting to process a little bit more and to think through things looks like being guarded but maybe is just taking pause yes <laughs> i might keep that pause in pause. i might not edit that out yes. i think it's important i keep it yes i think exactly that i think that if i know like exactly how I feel about a certain situation or like what my stance is or like if I am sure that I'm going to like that or dislike it, then then I am like fully in the moment. But if it's new, if it's like something new that I haven't like already figured out, I definitely am like reserved and people will be like, you go full send all the time. Like, why are you so slow on this? And I'm like, I haven't figured this out yet. I don't know what my stance on this is yet. I'm like waiting around in it. But exactly like with like me falling in love with Blaine is like I was probably not in the moment. I'd say that like I wasn't ever in the moment with him until I fully committed to like being 
in love with him. And I was like, nope, yep, that's how I feel. Do you have to be fully committed to everyone though? In every um, situation to be in the moment? For whatever aspect it is, right? Like if, um, you know, if I'm just like fully committed to like this vacation and like my friendship with you, like that's pretty chill and I am and I can like be there in that moment. Something I already right. know how I feel about, I can just like commit to being there for that because I don't like have to analyze it. But you need to lay groundwork to know yeah. what you know about something. And do you see what I'm getting at? <laughs> so you're saying to be fully like present, you have to know you've, you've got the groundwork of commitment and whatnot. Yeah, basically there. to be fully present, I I must feel that I fully understand the situation and like I'm not going to be like surprised or it's not going to go right. wrong. <laughs> Life is full of not being able to know that. <laughs> I disagree. Is there a level of control then? Because you deliberately make sure you've oh, done the work yes, and laid the groundwork. And so you've created a world where you... Yeah, no, I think... Yeah, I in mean, the way, I have the control. Pageant is a really good example of this. And, like, this is something I've thought about a lot, too, yeah. because people really misunderstand me as being, like, incredibly competitive and, like, some person that, like, needs to be, like, yeah. the best at everything. And, like, I never have felt that way. And I'm always like, why do you think that? Well, it's because I happen to end up being the best at most of the things I do. But that's because, like, for example, in pageant, all you can do to control that you win is that you are as good as you possibly can be. And so I did all of the groundwork and yeah. preparation w months and months and years in advance to the actual competition. But then when I showed up at the competition, I just went full send. So like I was no longer doing any like thinking or whatever. It was just happening. And I will say that like I think I had some of the best experiences competing in pageant because I was just like fully in the moment. You know, and I've had like some weird out of body experiences, really romantic experiences with myself just being like, like so in the moment. <laughs> but it's because like I knew I already did like all the preparation. I knew it was going to come at me and I like knew how I was going to handle it. And it was just then I just got to live in the experience. Someone asked me to do pageant unprepared. I would be like, <laughs> go die. Go die. So can you be in the moment without being prepared no, for that moment? Okay, man. Yo, you're just coming full circle to what I said in the first place. <laughs> I'm like bashing my forehead against the iron. I don't get how that doesn't count as being in the moment, though. Because life throws you a bunch of things I that disagree. you can't prepare for. But you're I like, disagree. no, trust me. I prepared for all of them. I think we totally managed to display this tri-type in a glorious way. It is like on such stunning display. I can't even tell you. <laughs> You are clearly not like every other eight. You are a particular flavor of eight. And so in the communities that you have been a part of with all these eights, what would you say really stands out as, as like the big difference? The thing that is a little different than a lot of the stereotypes and a um, lot of the write-ups that you'd find in a book. And like you people yeah. on the Instagram yeah. comments and shit, you're just like, I just did it. I'm like, what? Yeah. You had you yelled at someone before you figured out what you were mad at? What? All the carnage in our lives. All the carnage. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're you're still working on like months of contemplating saying the thing. But I will say the uh, thing though. You will in the end, indeed. Um, yeah. So also, you you're just not reactive. The thing is, I can react real fast to stuff I like already know fully well my position on. 
<laughs> right. That's it. not my definition <laughs> of reactive anyway. So I, we just finished talking to um, a uh-huh. few 826s, and they're part of something called like a double reactive triad, which means there's like an internal immediate bodily reaction that happens. And typically we can't tamp, tamp it down and it comes out. But when you already have calculated. Happens, but like, it's because I yeah. already know that's my truth. I don't really know right. how that's different. <laughs> <laughs> What's different is it doesn't matter for us if we know it's true or we don't know it's true. We react the same way uh. real fast. <laughs> and then afterwards, we can't necessarily to... account for it. Apologize. Yeah, I mostly don't believe wrong. in apologies. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes people will be like, you should apologize to me. And I'm like, I really don't think I would have done that any other way. I spend a lot of time apologizing. Yeah. <laughs> and not necessarily because I'm wrong, but because my um, what what I put out there is not so kind. The way I did it is I find myself best, apologizing to people who are like, find me abrasive. But I never apologize for right. being abrasive. Because that's my part. I'm just like, I'm sorry you misinterpreted <laughs> like what I meant. Oh, that kind of apology. Like, yes. This was really fun. Welcome back to another <laughs> yeah. one of these. This is like my favorite thing. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor.